This morning we are continuing our series on Kingdom Impact. And hopefully you might be a wee bit pleased to hear that I may be a little shorter this morning because our Carrick Fergus Vineyard Board of Directors are here to share some information after I speak. So for those of you who aren't sure, our board consists of Ivan Skinner, he's from our church, obviously Laura Farrell, he's from our church, Paul, he is speaking at Antrim Coast Vineyard this morning, so he's not here, and Stevie McCann from Causeway Coast Vineyard in Coleraine. And we're also delighted Michelle Scott from Vineyard Church Dungannon has agreed to join our board, although she's not here this morning because she's at Vineyard Church Dungannon. So um, there may be some confusion from some Carrick people here. There already has been because Stevie's twin brother is actually Alan McCann, who is the minister of Holy Trinity Church. I remember the first time Paul and I went to Causeway Coast Vineyard. It was when they were still meeting in the university in Coleraine. And I walked in and I was like, why is Alan McCann doing the kids signing at Causeway Coast Vineyard? And Stevie looked at me and he went, I know what's going on here. You think I'm my brother, Alan? And I went, yes, I didn't know he had a twin. So there you go. That should hopefully clear up the confusion. So we have been looking at the first few chapters in the book of Acts. And I loved what Johnny said when he shared last week. Was it last week? Gosh. Um, as we explore what God was doing in the early church, that he would start something new in us. And we believe that God is calling us to see greater kingdom impact, the number of disciples grow, and to build a place of hope. So today, if you want to look in your Bibles, I have been given the book of, or the chapters Acts 6 and 7. No pressure, like Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. Like, thanks for the fun verses, guys. So we're looking specifically today at Stephen and seeing your life as part of God's bigger story and how as the Holy Spirit empowers Stephen, these things happen, the number of disciples grow and there is more kingdom impact. So I was inspired and challenged what, by what Johnny said last week um, because he shared from Acts chapter 4. Um, I also loved his story about the airline upgrade and knowing that it wasn't for him that he had to pass it on to his friend. Um, and it reminded me of the one time that I actually got an airline upgrade, but I got to keep mine. <laughs> Um, I was a student, my friend Marianne and I were in Chile in South America for our part of our year out studying languages and we were meant to fly Santiago to Buenos Aires to Madrid to London to Belfast. But when we got to Buenos Aires, the airline had overbooked the flight to Madrid, so they said to us, would you like to travel first class to Rome instead? So we went, sure. <laughs> So the two of us are sitting in the first class with our student clothes on, our backpacks, sipping our champagne. It was lovely. So sorry Johnny didn't get to keep his. I got to keep mine. Um, also, I was very struck by Johnny's love for his Volkswagen Golf, which when he passed on to Laura, sadly got collided into a house. It scraped. <laughs> Laura's... Laura's... Yes, okay. Well, to be honest, Laura, you won't mind, but it did remind me of the times that my, the two times actually, that my car has actually collided with a house. But honestly, it wasn't me. It had a really dodgy handbrake. You'll be glad to know we have a different car now. <laughs> so anyway, 
Johnny said last week, what we have in our hand is not simply for us. And he shared from Acts 4, the believers shared all they had. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all in them all, that there was no needy person among them. And something he said just challenged me so much. If the world looked at our bank statement, would they see the signature of Jesus? Wow, so challenging. And just, I loved his encouragement to us that our birthright is to bless, investing in people in the right kind of treasure and seeing kingdom impact as we let God speak to us and guide us about our money and our resources. So if you didn't hear Johnny's talk last week, honestly, it was fantastic. So you should listen to the podcast. So today we're looking at Acts 6 and 7. So you will see from the scripture, I'm not going to read it all out, but Acts chapter 6 begins with some complaints. So perhaps that sounds familiar to some of us. You know, we have to admit that we do often like a good moon maybe especially in Northern Ireland, but when there's a group of people gathered, I think complaints and conflict are inevitable, whether you're in the staff room, in a sports club, in your classroom, and even in church, these things are gonna happen. And here the situation was that the number of disciples are increasing, and one group of Jews is complaining against another as their widows are being overlooked in the distribution of food. So it wasn't on purpose. It seems like the 12 were being stretched too thin. So we could put it maybe in a nutshell. They needed help with organization and compassion ministry. And doesn't the enemy love to use an unintentional wrong to stir up conflict among believers? So there's um, some of the couples in the church at the minute, including Paul and myself, who are doing the marriage course. Last week on the marriage course, the topic was resolving conflict. So I was loving it how I could see that in this scripture, they used the principles that we were using on the marriage course. So they gathered together, they focused on the issue, they used I statements, so they said it would not be right for us, and they came up with a solution. So that was very good. They appointed seven others full of the spirit and wisdom to do the food ministry so that they could focus then on prayer and the ministry of the word. And the men that they chose needed not just to be practical and good at that side of it, but also of good character and full of of the Holy Spirit. So there was agreement among the people and they prayed and laid hands on them. So we can see here that actually Satan's strategy failed. He tried to divide the church, but it didn't work. And his second strategy also failed. The apostles were not distracted from the focus of the ministry that God had given to them. So that's something really practical for us to learn today. When we feel ourselves grumbling or getting annoyed about something or conflict is rising up, do we let it divide us? Or is it an opportunity to use some of those principles to communicate, to deal with issues together, to listen to one another and to search for solutions? So let's not let what are probably unintentional wrongs cause division. And another thing that this made me think about also was, what are we for? You know, what has God called you to? 
And I need to preach this to myself as I just tend to throw myself into loads of different things. But the disciples could have tried to keep doing all the things, like they could have tried to keep on spinning all those plates, but it obviously wasn't working. So they needed to give their attention to what they were called to, which is prayer and the ministry of the word. So a question to each one of us today, what is God speaking to you about? What are you called to give your attention to? So when they did this, what actually happened? It says in verse 7 in chapter 6, The word of God spread, and the number of disciples increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's what happens when you multiply ministry and leaders, when you care for the poor and the broken, when more people share together in the responsibility. Numbers grow. There's more disciples, it says. They increased rapidly. And I was thinking of a couple of people in our church who have done this and have asked their permission um, to talk about them. And they are Diane Wade and Elizabeth Morrison, (laughs) so they can be embarrassed for a few minutes. But they have been on their own journeys themselves. They have received healing from God, and I have loved seeing that. I have loved spending time with them both in different ways and seeing that happen. But what they're doing now is they're still on a journey. They're still a work in progress, but they're flourishing in themselves and they're giving it away. So together they lead a life group on a Thursday morning. I do think they do some spiritual stuff, although I do hear a lot of laughing coming from the next room. Um, Elizabeth's run staying connected a few times where women can gather together in the gaps in between life groups. She's actually shortly going to open up her home um, to be an oasis for women to come and just spend time in God's presence. And if you want to know more about that, please ask her. She's just like looking at what's around her and seeing what God's calling her to. And Diane, she's always going a mile a minute. Every time me and Paul see her, she's got a new idea. We had our Christmas dinner in Uni's, um, obviously in Christmas Day. Um, sadly, she couldn't be there because she wasn't well, but I think she single-handedly recruited half the people. <laughs> so, you know, they're just, I love that they're just seeing what, who's around them, what's around them, and they're asking the Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And it, it's just in simple ways, and I know there's many others of you in the church doing that too, but I just decided to pick on them today. So we're so grateful for that, but I feel like we're expecting for more. And something I just feel, I've been feeling for a while now is, like our church has been going for nearly 10 years. I feel like we're really grateful for what God has done. We've been sowing seeds for a long time. But I just get this sense in our community, there's loads of people just on the fringe looking in, looking at us, looking at our church and what we're doing. And I'm really believing that lots of those people are going to step in. I don't mean they have to step into our church, but I mean come to faith, come to know Jesus. And some of them are people you know, some of them are your friends, your family people you run with, people you work with, whatever it is. And we're just really hungry for people to come to faith, that the physical reign that we're seeing would be like spiritual reign, that people would come to know Jesus. So just another wee question for you guys this morning. Like Elizabeth and Diane, are you looking around? Who are you praying for and looking for opportunities to see God move? And it really reminded me of this image here um, of discipleship. Um, 
So sometimes in our modern day discipleship, it's like just get as many people to come, connect, serve, and then a few people will maybe go. But we're after Jesus' discipleship strategy, which is the one on the right-hand side. This is from Peter Schizero, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Jesus invested in a few, and those few invested in more, invested in more, and the numbers grew exponentially. And, you know, that's manageable for us as individuals, isn't it? We can invest in who are the ones and twos and threes that we're investing in encouraging. And as they do that too, as they then pass it on, give away their faith, then more and more people will come and the number of disciples will grow. So that's just um, a wee encouragement to us all. So back to Acts 6. So Stephen was one of the seven chosen. It says in verse 8, He was a man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the people so what happens next straight away verse 9 bam opposition arose and I just want to remind us of that this morning when the kingdom breaks out when the number of disciples increases rapidly that will happen opposition arose and there's times when we can see it can't we we know that God is at work we know that God is changing people's lives and things come against us things come against them Guys, I want to tell you this morning, that's not the time to know that you're doing something wrong. That means that you're doing something right. Opposition will come when we step out, when we try to see God's kingdom come. And if we look back at Acts 4, Peter and John were seized by the priests and the Sadducees as the number of believers grew. They were brought in to be questioned. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaims the name of Jesus. And they don't just cow down, they pray dangerous prayers. It says in Acts 4, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they didn't pray, oh, Jesus, please keep us safe, or Jesus, please make our lives easy. They pray, Lord, give us boldness to speak your word. And I was reading this in the message last week, and twice the translation used the words fearless confidence. You know, as we ask God for growth, as we cry out to see his kingdom come in our lives and the people around us, our families, friends, and communities, and like an Ethiopia, like Johnny spoke of, we need to ask for fearless confidence. That is what we need. We need fearless confidence. And just as Peter and John were seized in chapter 4, Stephen is seized in chapter 6. They stir up lies against him. They bring false witnesses to testify against him. But despite what is coming against him, he's so close to Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit. So verse 15 says, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. I was wondering, like, how would you feel if you were falsely accused? You know, if people just were making up lies about you, if they brought, if you were brought before these official people and then they brought in other people to, to speak against you and you knew it wasn't true, like, I honestly doubt that I would have the face of an angel. <laughs> I think I would be raging and I would be going, I did not do that. You know, like, it's amazing. But Stephen's face reflected the perfect peace and confidence of one that knows and trusts his God. He knew that his life was in God's hands and that Jesus never forsakes his people. Like, how amazing. Oh, to have trust like that. Oh, that we would trust like that. 
So Acts chapter 7, and wisdom 3 here. So Stephen kind of gives a speech or a sermon in Acts chapter 7, and he kind of gives a panorama of Old Testament history. So don't worry, I'm not going to go through it all bit by bit. But we shouldn't think that Stephen was instructing the Sanhedrin in points of Jewish history that they didn't know. Instead, he wants to emphasize some things revealed in Jewish history that they might not have thought about, namely that God never confines himself to one place like the temple and that it seems like the Jewish people have a habit of rejecting those who God sends to them. So he's not real, it's not really a defense. He's not interested in defending himself, but he really wants to proclaim the truth about Jesus in a way that people can understand. So he mentions characters from the Old Testament, and really briefly, we can learn something from each of these. So look at Abraham. Abraham certainly becomes a giant of the faith, becoming the father of the believing, but he doesn't start off as a giant of the faith. We see Abraham as an example of one who grows in faith and obedience. And I just wanted to say that this morning to encourage each of you. You know, we're all on a journey. Don't expect to get it all right straight away. We're going to make mistakes. Sometimes we're going to fail, but we can grow in faith and obedience and go on this journey together. If we look at Joseph, Stephen talks about him. God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. God was with him. You know, Stephen's emphasizing the spiritual presence of God with Joseph all the time. He's not just with him when he's in church. And it's the same for us. The same is true for us. God is with you all the time. He is with us. Look at the calling of Moses. It says he trembled with fear. But because God goes with him, he's able to fulfill his calling and lead the people out of slavery. We sang about it. You split the sea. Moses led the people through the Red Sea. You know, there's things, you're sitting here this morning in the room, there's things that God is speaking to you about and calling you to that are making you tremble with fear. But God says, I am who I am and I am with you. It's not always meant to be comfortable. Sorry to tell you that, guys. It's not always easy. But God answers all of Moses' objections, and probably ours too, with variations on a single theme, the promise of his presence. And I've been reading this book, um, and it's a really amazing about God being with you in leadership, um, and it's all based on Moses, and this quote really struck me. The answer to all of Moses' concerns about why anyone would follow him was simple. The people will follow you because you've met me, because you know my name deep in your being. This is what qualifies you to be a spiritual leader, and that is why people will be willing to follow you right out of the place they've known for so long to a place that is brand new. You might be sitting here this morning and you might think, mm, I'm not a leader, I'm not a spiritual leader. But if you know Jesus deep in your being, people will follow you out of a place of darkness into a new life with Jesus, a place that is brand new. It's just about God being with you, being in his presence. And you would have thought then that Moses has got this nailed, hasn't he? Like he's led the people through the Red Sea. That's pretty awesome. But things still get hard for him. It's not just like, oh, one big great thing happens and that's us. It's plain sailing after that. The people turn to idols. In verse 41 of Acts 7, it says, 
they reveled in what their own hands had made. And again, that was a challenge to me and a challenge to us. Are we trusting God or are we trusting in stuff, like reveling in what our own hands had made? And I was really struck by what Johnny said last week. You know, don't get too distracted. It's okay to own things to enjoy, but don't let enjoyment own us. So we're coming near to the end of Acts chapter 7. It says, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. Like, imagine that. Imagine Stephen standing there and saying to this Sanhedrin, these holy guys, you know, imagine the angry whispering that would start up as his history lesson starts to hit home. He sees this and he knows that they're rejecting the one God sent again, just like before. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. And I was trying to, you know, imagine this and put myself in this position. If I was sitting listening to Stephen, like, would I be like that too? Are we like this sometimes? It's not easy, is it, when someone calls us out? It's hard to have it pointed out that maybe we're storing up treasure elsewhere. It's hard when someone maybe suggests to us that we've made some things our idols that should not be in the place of God. You know, even things that are good, but that they've taken the ultimate place of importance in our lives. You know, I heard someone say once, you can't tell me how I should spend my money. I'm not rejecting him. And no one here is saying that. But it's an invitation to talk to God about all this stuff. You know, could we respond differently than the Sanhedrin? Could we respond with humility? Just open our hearts to God and ask, Lord, what is it you're saying to me? What might I need to give or sacrifice to see your kingdom come? How can I be part of this bigger story by how I spend my time, talent, and treasure? This is a quote from Spurgeon. It says, The greatness of Stephen's sermon is not only in its content, but its courage. He takes the sharp knife of the word and rips up the sins of the people, laying open the inward parts of their hearts and the secrets of their souls. He could not have delivered that searching address with greater fearlessness had he been assured that they would thank him for the operation. The fact that his death was certain had no other effect upon him than to make him yet more zealous. How amazing is that? Fearless courage. If only we could have a little bit of that fearless courage. So the reaction to Stephen's speech. They were cut to the heart and convicted by the Holy Spirit. Yet the Sanhedrin reacted with rage instead of submission to the Holy Spirit. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. They show great anger. But really, who are they angry with? Stephen's only the messenger. Their real anger is directed against the God that they're rejecting. We're reminded again that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. That was the source of his courage, his wisdom, and his power in preaching. One translation says, Stephen filled through all his being with the Holy Spirit. Oh, that we would be filled through all our being with the Holy Spirit. How else will we have the fearless courage like Stephen? How else will we journey with growing obedience like Abraham? How else will we receive wisdom and favor like Joseph and know that God is with us? 
How else will we be obedient to the call of God like Moses, despite trembling with fear and resist the temptation to revel in what our own hands have made? Lord, please fill us through all our being with the Holy Spirit. Just to finish off with, he cried out with a loud, with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. We see Stephen displays the same forgiven attitude that Jesus had on the cross, and we read that in Luke 23. He asked God to forgive his accusers, and he made the promises loudly and publicly. It says here in verse 60, he fell asleep. That sounded really tender to me. You know, it didn't, the text says he fell asleep. He did not die. Instead, he fell asleep and woke up in a much better world. One commentary I read said this, if Stephen fell asleep, the church had to wake up. If there had been any rose-colored optimism about quickly winning the Jewish people to their Messiah, that was gone. The church could not expect triumph without a bloody battle. So what about us today? Are we one and surrendered to Jesus? What a lesson we can learn from this life of Stephen. You know, Stephen wasn't a superman, but he was a man filled through all his being with the Holy Spirit. And you've no idea of how greatly you can be used of God as you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, I'm just going to pray now and then I'm going to ask the board to come up. But why don't we just stand together to pray, please? Lord, I thank you that you're here with us. I pray that we would open our hands, our minds and our hearts to receive fearless courage like Stephen, to journey with growing obedience like Abraham, to receive wisdom and favor like Joseph, to be obedient to, be obedient to your call like Moses. Lord, would you please come and fill us through all our being with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you that the truth sets us free. And Lord, I just pray we'd receive it today. In your precious name we pray. Amen.